How Public Taste Has Changed. The Kodu-inspired abstract paintings of painter Gordon Walters were often found frighteningly modern back in the 1950s and 60s, but they're now to be found on the walls of tasteful interiors in glossy magazines. They've become emblems of the height of mainstream fine art taste. And now, a new Auckland University press book called Gordon Walters reveals the true diversity of the painter's exploration of form. It's a really terrific book, and the author is art historian Francis Pound. But Pound passed away in 2017, leaving the book unfinished, and his wife, the celebrated art dealer Sue Crockford, also passed away in July of this year. Today we remember them both. Taking up the job of finishing the book has been Francis Pound's friend and colleague Leonard Bell. Well, Leonard Bell and Francis Pound actually met in the 1960s when they both saw Gordon Walters' Kodu paintings together for the first time. These works then were exhibited at the New Vision Gallery in Auckland, and that came after 17 years in which Walters, then in his 30s and 40s, had been intensely developing his work, but not showing it publicly. Well, Francis and I had known one another. We'd been friends for many years since... In fact, we met in 1966, and in For about three or so years, we then students, some of the time anyway, shared large and unruly houses with others in pre-gentrified Auckland. Another world, really. So did you see the Golden Walters work in (laughs) the late 60s when it came out? Yeah. 1966, too, was the year that both Francis and I studied Art History One. As it was being taught, it was it was only really just getting underway as a subject. I was a BA student otherwise, um, could take, Francis was a fine arts student, and it was, the lectures were at Elam School of Fine Arts, and the lecturer, the main lecturer, was Peter Tomory, who had been, uh-huh. who had been director of the art gallery from about 1956 through to just before, 64, but then he came to the university. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Oddly enough, it's only just over the last week or two I've really thought of this sort of coincidence yeah. that Gordon Walters, the book, and Francis writing about and I've had a long interest in Gordon's work too. I'd written from, God, over 40 years ago probably mm. or so. It all sort of falls into place. Both of us started first year studying art history. The New Vision Gallery had only the previous year sort of opened up to having art exhibitions. There'd been craft shop before that. It was one of the two, along with Barry Lett's, dealer galleries in Auckland, you know, high quality stuff. So Yeah, and we must tell in, listeners who don't really know that history. I mean, this was the beginning of it, the, of the really dealer gallery. It was in many ways, yes. yeah. And so if you're interested in, in art, you went to those galleries just as a matter of course. Right. And so, yes, separately uh, to the first one, there are a few people around in Auckland who have seen that exhibition too and... <laughs> all now in their late 70s and early 80s and so on. And the 68 one at New Vision we saw together, in fact. That must have been, was it like a bolt out of the blue? Because, I mean, you know, we're talking 17 years or something that Gordon Walters didn't exhibit, which is incredible. I'd never heard of him. Yeah, right. And I I suspect not many people had, in fact. Um, Or like me, you know, who were just people who went along to exhibitions and so on. Though, and this again, this is a sort of crucial event, probably again largely forgotten now. In 1965, uh, this was organised by the Auckland Art um, Gallery, there was an exhibition of contemporary American art, the James Michener, otherwise the novelist collection. Yes. <laughs> out, it was fantastic. And that was, 
I made an enormous impact. I traveled around Wellington and Dunedin. I don't know whether we went to Christchurch. And, you know, like myself, kids, anyone who was interest, interested in art, that made an enormous impact. So it did sort of set the stage for someone like Gordon Walters to appear over the next few years. And M- M- Milan Mukasic, of course, was yes. exhibiting at the um, Barry Lett Gallery, so another ab- abstract artist. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, back, so, to, back to Francis, yeah. um, because I really do feel this book is a tr- such a tribute to him and such a celebration. He only passed away in 2017 and yeah, Sue yeah. Crockford earlier this year. You put it rather beautifully at one point about Francis's books, that they were as much imagined as real. It, he, he took his time, didn't he? Francis... <laughs> Francis, uh, the un- otherworldly or unworldly element comes into this. Francis went his own way. Yes. And <laughs> I don't know whether you recall. Had he, no, he hadn't started full-time lecturing at the university. and started in 1992. Yeah. So he had been part-time ah, before that. I, I was sure yeah. I would have remembered him. I yeah. think I, w- I was at the art history department for a few years before that. Yeah. Yeah. And Francis occasionally, when he was lecturing there, would say he was taking an enormous long, long time to to read thesis drafts of a student he was supervising. And I, I said, oh, just give me a look, Francis. So I had a look, and Francis effectively had written this kind of parallel commentary <laughs> in the margins, like an entire book of comments on this, you know, the student's uh, draft of a thesis. So there was a, a little bit of um, disconnection between the time available and what you could do, I think. And... The invention of New Zealand, that was a work of over 25 years from start to finish. His celebrated book. And how, long, how, long, how long was he writing this one? The book itself, thinking in terms of a book, a monograph, and this year was going to be a catalogue raisin, and then it shifted to a monograph. That was from the early 2000s. Right. Uh, though he had, you know, obviously he had written about Walter's work before and researched work, Walter's work, and um, he knew Gordon Walter's well too. So they had been in close contact, really, since mm. the probably na- later 1980s. I have to say, I, I kind of fell in love with art history again reading this book because it is so beautifully written. And it is. It is yeah. so beautifully designed. The illustrations, even if you don't want to read the words, it's, it's just an Fantastic. incredible yeah. catalogue of yeah. just how really impressive Gordon Walters' exploration of, of form was and colour and everything. But, I, you know, what, what struck me about Francis Pound's writing is that you think as this sort of you think of him as the arch academic, but it's not dull. In fact, it's so passionate. He he puts everything into context, and it's so incredibly lively. He brings you know work that is very, you know, in a sense, exact and dry to to life. Absolutely, and I mean, at one point, in fact, I think it's in the introductory bit or the forward. I quote Baudelaire, the mid nineteenth century French poet and uh, and art writer, and likewise. Baudelaire was a person who could make paintings live. You can, you know, yeah. writing about paintings, you can almost you can see them really extraordinary. Mm. And I can proudly claim that I introduced Francis to Baudelaire's art writing, oh, wow. uh, which is amusing. <laughs> and he always used to say, and I think I might note this is one of the footnotes, that I got a quote from Baudelaire into every book that I wrote. And he's probably right. <laughs> and in this instance, Baudelaire's comment that art writing, or I'm paraphrasing, he should be passionate, partial, and political. And by political, he doesn't mean sort of um, political, ideological politics, political, but committed to particular perspectives, if you like. 
and writing from a particular perspective or perspectives which didn't claim to be definitive but effectively opened the whole area up to other people engaging with the work in the writing too. Yeah, because he, he doesn't yeah. beat around the bush, does he, no, around, no, no, around no, issues no. of cultural appropriation and a relationship with Teo Schoon, which is fascinating. Sure. Yeah. And, and then there's just like, I mean, like his reimagination of, of Walters encountering something like Mondrian for the Absolutely. first time yeah, sure. is, is, yeah. is really quite remarkable writing. It is, yeah. It what, is. What, what state was this book at when you got it? So obviously he passed away at 2070. Okay. It was essentially unfinished. It was unfinished. Um, he had been increasingly unwell from about 2010, 11, 12, and then mm. Sue too became unwell from them, yes, then, sadly. Yes. Mm. But he continued working on his book whenever he could. And towards in, towards the end of his life, um, I'd, you know, I'd signaled to Francis that I was, happy, you know, obviously happy to help him in whatever way. And then when he knew he was not going to live, he, he asked me if I could complete it, really. And, if possible, because it very much was a case of if possible. If I had seen um, his drafts, it was it was only shortly before he died, but you know there was a very intense period, and I can't quite remember. But anyway, I did have a certain concern that I would effectively inherit a massive text, which would have an enormous amount of rewriting to do. Yes. Now that wasn't the case. It was it was a massive text, uh, so. I had to do a considerable amount of shortening to make it, it's still pretty big, to make it a text that would be possible to publish, really, in terms of size and scale and so on, particularly when, you know, you, you need to have a lot of reproduced images too. So I cut it by 25 to 30%. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was also working with, in terms of, I would, my what I did would then went to Sam Elworthy, the director, and... Mike Wagon actually is another editor, and then we sort of. This is Auckland, Auckland, Uni- say Auckland University Press, great, a great publisher. Yeah, 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 another fantastic work with. And what I, I mean, what I didn't want to do was lose Francis's voice, so you know I tried as much as I could to retain Francis's voice, and there were sort of there were passages which were a bit unwieldy that needed in ter- more in terms of organisation and sequencing. Yeah. So it was a matter of uh, shifting perhaps this passage from here to there and so on. Uh, but in terms of the language itself, there was no more to do than a sort of what would be a standard editing process, really. Fascinating. And that mm. sounds like a fascinating process and a very unusual one for, I guess, for a, for a book of the stature because um, it is a really major time. And, and so, but you, you end up doing the book ending, don't you, because you do an introduction and an afterwards. So you're able to also just... I guess pay tribute to Francis, yeah, as well in that way. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it it just started and stopped. I mean, and it, he he talked about this, and I, in fact, I think I quote in the afterward a little passage in one of his notebooks, one of his last notebooks, which he had given to me to you know sort of help, and it's very amusing. I'm paraphrasing again. It read something like introduction and conclusion still to do. They will be the hardest parts. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, thanks, Francis. Thanks for that. <laughs> Curious enough, that, I mean, I we had known one another. You know how with close friends you can, not that you can, you can't be them, but there's, there's a presence there, I think. Yeah. So I didn't find it difficult in terms of the 
the content of the forward and afterward. And I also, the book, it needed to be established the circumstances in which this book was being completed. Yeah. So um, that's what I tried to do. And it, so it needed that framing, absolutely. Otherwise, it would have had a very sort of, what you know, what's going on look. Well, it, let, let's move on to Gordon Walters himself, yeah. because I don't want to assume that all of our listeners know Gordon Walters. It's, it's interesting, in a mm. sense, that he is... You know, some of us would argue our greatest painter, whilst McCann is still far more well-known, or at least mm. internationally, I think, as Francis Pound is sort of articulating, maybe even yourself. Why, why is Gordon Walters significant? Okay, well, I knew Gordon too, and he, not as well as Francis or his very close friend, Richard Colleen. Gordon was, how do one put it simply, a man fully committed to making the best art he could uh, and wanted to create art that would stand up. I mean, the term globally wouldn't have been used when he was, but would, you know, would stand up anywhere, if you like, not just in New Zealand, but any part of the world which had been informed by modernist currents in terms of art practices and ideas about art and so on. Um, And... He committed himself to that at, at really a young age, and he wasn't alone. And that's where you know he had a, he had friends and companions. He travelled widely. He spent a period of about three years in Australia, about which very little was known really uh, until relatively recently. He had a very good friend, George Johnson, and they were in Melbourne together. And they in fact shared living accommodation, I think a studio too for a period in the early nineteen fifties. And George is still round. George must be in his, you know, mid to late nineties now in Melbourne. And he mm. too, uh, for the want of a better way of putting it, a hard edge abstract painter. So these two, unusually for New Zealand, then had committed themselves to that mode of art making. Uh, they were well, well. Gordon was extremely knowledgeable and well informed. He got hold of periodicals that were really, you know, up to the minute. So he was also a designer. Well, of and course, in, yeah. And in terms of the book, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets of in-house here. Walters and his art was very painting was and his mature abstract painting was very much to the forefront when they came to the design. So. Mm. This, these are my words. I don't think they've ever used it. It's almost as if you, you're, you're holding a book that could have been designed by Gordon Walters yeah, himself. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. Um, we, we'll, maybe we'll come back to that in a second. Mm. But, I mean, there's a quote that stood out that Gordon Walters said that kind of exemplified his approach to me. It says, I believe that dynamic relations are most clearly expressed by the rendition of a few simple elements. Mm. Mm. It seems to me it's as simple as that, but not simple. He 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 was so refined and worked so hard to work with the, those sort of simple elements and do something which is incredibly animated. This is when it takes on a you know the conceptual dimension, if one one could say philosophical dimension, is primary, as it was with all the the major pioneer abstractionists, Mondrian, and then the. German and Russian constructivists and Dutch constructivists in the yeah. interwar period, Bauhaus artists and so on. And Joseph Albers was another extraordinarily important figure in terms of uh, Gordon's commitment to his art. There was an exhibition of uh, Bauhaus art and objects. 
at the Museum of Modern Art in 1938. For, organized, it was curated by Gropius and his wife and uh, Bayer. And Gordon had got hold of the catalogue for that exhibition during the war. So, mm. you know, he, he kept up with things. Um, mm. And, of course, he travelled extensively too. I'm speaking to Leonard Bell about uh, Francis Pound's book, Gordon Walters, in which Leonard's had a significant contribution. I mean, Leonard, the other thing, of course, is to not to mention is that he he, he read and looked and studied widely across oceanic art as well. We think sure, of marquees and tattoos through, of course, to the kodu and to, to, into Māori work. And this fascinating engagement he had with Teo Schoon early on in the Māori mm. rock drawings um, in South Canterbury. Yeah, that yeah that, that is integral to his work and working process. He looked far and wide and looked very closely, studied art wherever that that struck him in terms of quality. So his sources of inspiration and that were diverse. You are American, Pacific, Maori, some Chinese and uh, Japanese ideas and elements too. Sort of bringing together approaches and lines of thought, if you like, from a diverse range of uh, sources, like all, probably all great artists do. Although it strikes me, it's kind of interesting where the cultural appropriation debate has gone to, right? Because, you know, Walters became, I guess, became celebrated in the 80s and into the 90s, and we had a big retrospective in 2017. But, you know, there was a real active kind of conversation, particularly with Māori artists in in the 1990s, around this kind of appropriation of Māori icons. I don't really want to dwell on that, but it does strike to me that times have changed, and and, and the Māori contemporary Māori art scene is so strong in terms of looking back to its own abstract tradition, you know, we can think of so many different Natai Taipa or Ruben Patterson, these artists, that really it feels like we can look at, maybe we can look at Gordon Walters in a different light now. Well, that whole, how do one put it, period when there were debates and arguments sometimes are quite acrimonious. It's not that, put it this way, there were different people, different groups with different views right from the outset. Gordon, for instance, was friends with people like Arnold Wilson and Paramachet, who were quite happy with his art. Uh, Sid Mead was another, who was prime figure with Tamari Exhibition yeah. from the Met and Trail. Likewise, and there are contemporary artists. I mean, I've read pieces from, from Shane Cotton or uh, Mike, and Michael Parakofi too. My sense of things was the sort of negative criticism came more from people who weren't practising artists, in fact. And I wonder whether, I mean, I, I put, put it in one way, to me it, is a, it is, is a distracting argument in the sense that Gordon did not just copy or mimic. He referred and alluded to, and indeed was inspired by, took an extraordinarily intense and knowledgeable interest in Maori arts and a range of other arts, you know, whether it's Bauhaus, Mondrian or whatever. But he never copied or mimicked, if you like. So, and he he, he, he spoke about this in an interview, I think, in Salient magazine, which is a Victoria University mag- magazine yeah. in the late 1960s. I think Peter McLeavy was the interviewer and he, <laughs> he made that point, you know. Uh, Gordon looked very closely. He thought very closely. If you look at his paintings and then set them beside a typical kafaifai, there are enormous differences. They're not the same. Yeah. You can see the references and allusions as you can see those to Mondrian. Um, mm. In terms of composition, 
and organization of the picture space, Mondrian is the crucial figure in, t with, in relation to Gordon's mature abstractions, effectively the interpenetration of space and form, or the equivalence of space and form, so there's no figure in ground as such. Um, yes. that, is, and that is, if you like, I don't like the term actually, pure, but I was going to say pure Mondrian. In, I think it's on the cover of the first exhibition at the New Vision Gallery in 1966, there's a quotation from Mondrian to that very point relating mm. to interpenetration of, of space and form or the equivalent of space and form. So you can't separate, if you like, space from form. Space and form are one and the same. If you know, he, he might have thought that way of putting it was the best, but effectively, you know, that notion of equivalence, you don't find that with, uh, for instance, Kafaifai. Now, in contrast to Teo Schoon, Teo Schoon produced paintings which effectively were a not a mimicking, but they were very close to Kafaifai. Yes. Whereas yes. Gordon's aren't. I mean. Yeah, and they're quite different in the way they talked yeah, about it. It was clear sure. that Gordon mm. was a little uncomfortable with, you know, even being accepted as like that, whereas, you know, Teo did seem to kind of carry on like he was inheriting a tradition and was filled with the spirit. Yes, of well, it. I never met Teo Scoot, but I was aware <laughs> of his. Him being around, and I knew people who knew him very well, and uh, he could be a pretty fractious character, as I think yeah, everyone yeah. knows now. Both brilliant and impossible. That's the sense I have of Teo Schoon. Well, let's go back to 1966, New yeah. Vision, and, and the yeah. years before it, because this is the arc of the book, of Francis Pound's yeah, book, sure. even though the, the, the book is surprisingly full of work later, and, and, right. and, and it yeah. all dances together, which yeah. is quite mm. extraordinary visually. But he didn't exhibit, Gordon Walters... I believe it didn't exhibit for 17 years. He was he was in his 30s and 40s. This is from 1949, no, I think, I mean, to 1966. Yeah. This is incredible, really. The silence, and yet he was prodigious during it, wasn't he? And he, then he came out with the Kodu paintings. That that is indeed the case. And there were locations in Wellington where he could have exhibited, like the Architectural Centre Gallery, yeah, which had frequent exhibitions and of you know a lot of of. May, people who would be seen now as, and then too as major artists doing new and innovative things, great variety. Peter McCleavy, of course, who was his most prominent supporter, Gordon was a bit of a mentor to Peter too, I think. Peter's gallery opened in the later 60s, so that came mm. later. The previous modernist-oriented gallery outside the architectural centre had been Helen Hitching's gallery, short-lived in the early 1950s, so while well, he was in Europe and Australia, I see. So, but yeah, but, but what, then there were places like the public library where people had exhibitions. So, so yes, he chose not to exhibit very why, why? deliberately. Was, well, was, he on one hand he was um, he was I mean he produced an enormous amount of work during that period in terms of collages and he was exploring, experimenting, trying things out. And yeah. I mean he he was a perfectionist. Well, at the same time, and this, you know, made quite bluntly, and I think both Francis and I quote this, that perfection is impossible. <laughs> so there's a kind of, initially Francis had suggested, he had a number of possible titles for the book, Gordon Walters, and then, you know, one was The Pursuit of Perfection. Now, I have to confess here that Sam Elworthy and I decided to just go with Gordon Walters and to drop The Pursuit of Perfection pretty late in the piece, actually, had to change the you know, the text because we felt it could be misconstrued. Yeah, well, I'm pleased. Because he <laughs> very well knew that, you know, the perfection is impossible, you know, sort of 
platonic perfection. It, it exists in the mind rather than reality and so on. And in terms of back to him him not exhibiting, I mean, was it such that the antipathy to abstract painting over that period, it's very hard for people now to appreciate this, that the antipathy, well, aggressive was, antipathy was really, was, was it really that bad? Well, is bad the term to use? Uh, I mean, I was a, I, and again, I say this, it made a big impact, but not just on me. In about 1958, I think, I was at intermediate school, and there was a travelling exhibition around New Zealand on contemporary British painting, which included a lot of abstract work. Now, I didn't, I was, didn't see this exhibition myself, but it, it garnered so much attention in the newspapers, just as had a Henry Moore sculpture exhibition a few years before. And I remember my intermediate school teacher ranting about this exhibition and saying that our monkeys could have done better and so on. <laughs> but And also, there is a sort of dynamic that if you're a somewhat contrarian kid, you think, well, there must be something in it then. Because, <laughs> you know, these institutional authorities are saying it's rubbish. Yes. Anyway, with getting back to the, there was widespread suspicion and sort of hostility towards abstraction. And you found this also in artistic circles, yeah. which was, might, I mean, it seems weird now, but that indeed was the case. But at the same time, there were more artists than I think people realize who nevertheless tried out abstraction in the 50s and 60s, in most cases didn't pursue it in, in New Zealand. The major figures besides Gordon were, you know, Milan again, Milan Mercosic and um, Don Peebles. Uh, <laughs> Well, arguably, Who is yeah. probably still a little bit, un- more than a little bit under-recognised. No, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, arguably, it's totally flipped now, isn't it? Because every magazine you pick up with a sort of a nice, stylish interior has a print of Gordon Walters on on the wall. And well, it's seen as the, it's, and whereas contemporary art is, I think there is still a great divide between, you know, the work that's been produced in the last 30 years. But painting, abstract painting is, you know, is, is a, on a tradition. Yeah. Well, it's, it, yes. And I think that in, over the last, what, I don't know, Difficult to cite actual number of years, but there has been a renewed interest among art historians, art critics, artists throughout the world in interwar modernist currents. And that's not just Euro American, but also in places like Japan. Or, and when I say modernist currents, I'm including um, movements like, and it was a movement, like surrealism too. Yeah. I remember a few years ago picking up a book in the university library, a new book on Egyptian surrealism in Egypt in the 1920s. Well, you know, I had no idea that there was <laughs> surrealism in Egypt. Yeah, so it's fascinating. So yes. renewed interest and I think a recognition, because in the sort of 70s and 80s, there was something of a, re- and into the 90s, something of a, of a reaction in art circles and sort of among art theorists against the modernist. Yeah. in ways that are often very reductive, in my opinion. That's art historian Leonard Bell speaking about his late friend Francis Pound's book on the abstractionist Gordon Walters. Gordon Walters, published by Auckland University Press, is now available in bookstores. And our webpage features a range of Gordon Walters' work to illustrate just how dynamic and sophisticated his work was.